0: Alright, we're going to have our brief prophecy uh, Q&A. And so if you have a prophecy question, Yeshua, I'm going to sign that over here. Um, when the Jews go to Petra, will that be within the geographical borders at that time? It will be within the geographical borders at that time since Petra is in southern Jordan, and Jordan shares a common border with uh, Israel. And so that will be the location, based on my understanding of reading the prophecies in Isaiah, that Petra will be the location... Uh, for the Jewish people within those, those common borders there. So when you go over the over um, southern uh, Israel into southern Jordan, you're looking at only a two-hour drive from the southern border of Israel. 22 hours a drive to get there. And so that would be the shelter, the hiding place for the Jewish people. In Isaiah chapter 63, verse number 1, it says, Who is this that comes from Edom with thy garments from Boswell? Edom is located in southern Jordan today. That's where Esau and the Edomites dwell before they were conquered by the Nebuchadnezzar of Saudi Arabia uh, back in that day. All the beautiful carvings you see in Petra today were done by the Nebuchadnezzar, not the Edomites. But that's where Esau and his people uh, dwell. And that would be the place where Jesus Christ would pick up those surviving Jewish rabbits take them over into Jerusalem, where Zechariah 14.4 says, His feet will touch the mountain of others. So I'm convinced that the passages I gave you earlier, Isaiah 16, 1-4, Isaiah 26, 20, Isaiah 63, 1-6, Revelation 12, 6, Revelation 12, 14, tell us, indeed, that would be the location. You know, in, in reference to that question, when you reach Psalm 83, you will notice that those nations who attack Israel share a common border with Israel. The nations in Ezekiel 38, do not share a common border. But those nations in Psalm eighty-three share a common border, and one of them being Jordan. Right. I'm just. I guess what I'm trying to say is, is, it, is it, at that time does Jordan still exist? Oh yeah,
1: absolutely. Oh. And, and, and by the way, when you read
0: Daniel eleven forty-one, when the Antichrist has overthrown all these countries that attack Israel, because of this confirmation of peace treaty, it says, "But these shall escape out of his hands." Edom. Moab and the chief of the children of Ammon. You know who that is today? Well, that's Jordan. Jordan in biblical times consisted of those three people. Ammon, northern Jordan. Moab, or as they say in Hebrew, Moab, central Jordan. Edom was made up of southern Jordan. Am and Moab were the sons of Lot through the ancestral relationship. Remember that story in Genesis 19? And of course, Esau was Jacob's brother. He dwelt uh there in uh, southern Jordan. So Jordan will be spared this wrath. Why? God is hiding the special people there. So if Jordan is destroyed, well, guess what? They're destroyed too. So Jordan has to be spared because God is shuffling the Jewish people there at uh, Petra and in Southern Jordan. That's a good question. Okay, uh Chris? So, when they try to pull together the world into the, the single religion, and then shut down Christianity, you know, Islam doesn't exactly take to uh, inclusion of others into their religion. So how does that fit into this whole plan? Because that seems like it'd be a wild card. Yeah, it, you hit around the nose, well, Islam is an intolerant uh, religion. And there's a song in Islam that says, we will fight on Saturday, live on Sunday. Well what do they mean by that? We'll fight on a Saturday, then on a Sunday. Well we're gonna fight on a Saturday because that's a Shabbat, that's a Sabbath, where the Jews worship. So we're gonna fight the person and kill them. And then when we're done with the Saturday worshipers, then we're gonna fight the Sunday worshipers and kill them as well. But I don't think Chris Islam will be a major factor in the upcoming uh tribulation period. Because based on Ezekiel chapter uh thirty-nine And verse number uh, 9, five out of every six Jews, excuse me, five out of every six Muslims are going to be wiped out when they come up against the Jewish people. God told Ezekiel, I will turn thee back and leave what? A sixth part of thee. Will cause thee to come up from the north parts. Will bring thee upon the mountains of Israel. I've been on the mountains of Israel many times and whenever I go there, Brother Chris, I always vision in my mind's eye dead Russian troops, dead Iranian troops, dead Turkish troops, dead Libyan, um, Ethiopian Sudan, smaller troops, when they come up against Israel. The Bible says five out of every six, or six of them, are going to be wiped out. Because the Muslims will not tolerate a ruler of the revived Roman Empire ruling over them. So something's gotta give it to the Muslims. going well, to Ezekiel, God says six of them, or five out of every six Muslims, will be wiped up. And when that happens, that will pave the way for the ruler of the revived Roman Empire out of that ten-nation confederacy to rule over Israel and all of the nations of the world. So Islam will not even be a factor in the tribulation period. Brother John, and I'll get to you one. again. Yeah. Uh, when you're uh, evangelizing, you're using prophecy in your evangelism, what, what particular things do you do? They are in Israel for where? Evangelizing in the whole Land? Is in it? Israel yeah, wherever, right? But especially in Israel, I use what, what's called messianic prophecies. These are all first coming prophecies in the Old Testament that point to Jesus as the ultimate fulfillment. For example, I'll use Genesis 3.15, which uh, many theologians refer to as the Protoevangelium, evangelium, the first time the gospel is mentioned in the Old Testament. The moment Adam and Eve sin, God said, I'm going to send somebody to right your wrong." He said, I will put enmity between thee and the woman. Between thy seed, her seed, it shall bruise thy head, thou shalt bruise the seal. So the seed of the woman is none other than, well, based on Galatians 4, 4, Jesus Christ. He's the seed of the woman who will one day give a gashed head wound to Satan. So that's the messianic prophecy that I use with the Jewish people there in Israel. I also use Genesis chapter 49, verse 10. The scepter shall not depart out of Judah, nor a lawgiver from between his seed until she will come. Now, you Christians say, Shiloh, but in Israel, they'll correct you. And they'll say, it's not Shiloh, it's Sheol. And the rabbis tell us, Sheol is another name for the Messiah who will come from the tribe of Judah. The Messiah would come from the tribe of Judah. Then I'll take them to Micah chapter 5, verse 2. That the Messiah who would come from the tribe of Judah would be born in Bethlehem. That was fulfilled in Matthew chapter 2, verses 1 and 2. Jesus was born in Bethlehem of Judea. And he said, of himself in John 6.35, I'm the bread of life, right? And what does the word Bethlehem mean? In two words, faith, lechem. He was born in the house of rest. That's Michael 5.2. I'll take it to Psalm 22, verse 18. They pierced my hands and my feet. The Romans weren't even around at that time. And yet you have King David talking about crucifixion. Now, some say it was invented by the Romans. We don't know if that's true or not. But the Romans practiced that a lot. They crucified him, yet they said that when the Messiah comes, he would pierce his hands and feet. So we, we use all these messianic prophecies when we witness the Jewish people in Israel or here in the United States of America. So we go in the Old Testament in their own backyard and show them through their own scriptures, their own prophecies that Jesus is indeed the prophesied Messiah of Israel. And, you know, I use a lot of hebraic terms when I teach, you know, when I talk with Jewish people uh, in Israel, like, instead of saying Jesus, I'll say Yeshua. And they don't exactly what I'm talking to when I say Yeshua, or Yeshua HaMashiach, Jesus the Messiah. So, they're using all these hebraic terms with them, and they're like, oh, this guy's using Hebrew, he's using all these Messianic prophecies, there's got to be something to this. We share the gospel with a budget car representative of a Jewish lady at ben Gurion Airport in Tel Aviv. My friend Todd Baker and I shared the gospel there. We gave her a complete Hebrew Bible, so messianic literature, and we said we'd be praying for you. Three months later, we get an email, and that same lady, she said, after reading everything, I've come to the conclusion that Jesus is the Messiah of Israel, and I trust Him as my holy personal Savior. Oh, glory to God! There's going to be a Jew in the pew. Amen. <laughs> so that's what and that's what we do. We use these messianic prophecies. To share the gospel with Jews, uh, in, in, and even with the Arabs for that matter. We share the gospel, we use the Hebrew term, with Jews and Arabs, uh, there in Israel. So, it's good to study these things, and learn a little bit of Hebrew, because it's going to be no language in heaven one day. So, learn a little bit of Hebrew. On so, uh, learn, bit of Hebrew you know? learn these messianic prophecies, so that if you have a Jewish friend, a Jewish doctor, or whatever, believe there are many Jewish doctors out there, then you can use these same, uh, terminology with them. Okay, so. oh, yeah, I think that, you got know, your First resurrection and the second resurrection, how many resurrections are there according to Revelation 20, verse 4? Okay, Revelation chapter 20, verse 5. You've got to look at it chronologically. See, that's what you've got to read the book of Revelation chronologically. If you don't, you're going to get messed up. For example, the book of Daniel is not in chronological order. So that means you've got to find all the book of Daniel in order to get the proper chronological sequence. So if you're going to read the book of Daniel, don't read it numerically. Don't read it straight through chapters 1 through 12. Read it chronologically. Chapters 1, 2, 3, 4, 7, 8, 5, 6, 9, 10, 11, 12. You've got to bounce all of the book of Daniel. In order to read it chronologically, you have to do the same thing with the book of Revelation. It's not in chronological order, which means you've got to bounce all of the book of Revelation. Well, when you get to Revelation chapter 20 and verse number 5, let me just read that for you quickly right here. In our Revelation chapter 20, and uh, verse number 5 talks about these resurrections that you are alluded to so uh, let me just get there quickly, Revelation chapter 20 and verse number 5 says but the rest of the dead live not again until the thousand years were finished, this is the first resurrection, this was eating me up for years the rest of the dead is talking about the unsaved dead, the unsaved dead how can the unsaved dead take part in the first resurrection? Because the first resurrection is a resurrection to everlasting life. The unsaved dead don't have that. So how can this be part of the first resurrection? And then, as I study, and I talk with a, a, a Bible prophecy teacher, by the way, Dr. Jimmy Dion, I'm here to talk here to Dr. Jimmy B. He said, August, you need to look at that verse chronologically. The first half of verse number 5 drops down to verses 11 through 15. The great white throne judgment. That's for the unbeliever. That's not for you to say. That's for the unbeliever. But then when you continue to read on, this is the first resurrection. That backs up to verse number four. Look at Revelation chapter 20 and verse number four. And I saw a throne that they that sat upon them, and judgment was given unto them, and I saw the souls of them that would be for the witness of Jesus, and for the word of God, and which had not worshipped the beast, neither his image, neither had received his mark upon their foreheads, or in their hand. and they lived and reigned with Christ one thousand years. So, the first half, verse number 5, is equivalent to verses 11 through 15 of Revelation chapter 20. The last half of the first resurrection, are you with me? Backs up to Revelation chapter 20, verse 24. The first resurrection would include the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. He did rise from the dead, they don't. Basically, body rose from the dead. So we celebrate Easter. So the first resurrection would include the resurrection of Jesus Christ, the first fruit of the resurrection, 1 Corinthians 15, 23. And then the rapture of the church. 1 Thessalonians 4, 16, 18. At the end of the seventy-year period of tribulation, you're going to have the resurrection of Old Testament saints, Isaiah 26-19, Daniel chapter 4 verse 2, and you'll have the resurrection of tribulation martyrs. Those guys who lost their lives in the tribulation period, Luke 19-12-27, and right there, Revelation chapter 20, and verse number 4. All those resurrections make up the first resurrection, The second resurrection is a resurrection to damnation. The rest of the dead, in verse number 5, are those at the great white throne judgment. The great white throne judgment is when the books, plural, are opened. What are these books, plural? I believe, Gail, those books contain the works of all these unsaved dead from the womb to the tomb. Showing that they're guilty as charged, man. And then the Bible says a book, singular, is open. You know what book that is? It's the book of life. They say, fair Yahim, the book of life is open. Their names are not in that book. Your name is, if you said it, their names are not there. And if their names are not there, what's the final outcome? the lake of fire. Exactly, brother. They're cast into a lake of fire. They experience the second death. That's the second resurrection to damnation. They're summoned out of hell, where we are right now. Hell is a holding place, like, like like jail, if you will. Hell is temporary, like a fire's long term. You no, know, if you break the law, say you're being held on a murder charge, are they holding you in prison? No, they're holding you in a local jail until the court uh, day is over. And if you're found guilty, then you're taken from jail to where the big house man, and that's where you're going to spend the rest of your. Your living days is out of a, a, a prison. Well, that's like a fire. The lake of fire is long term. Hell is February the unsaved dead go now, but their final destination will be the lake of fire. So when he says but the rest of the dead live not again until the thousand years were finished, at the end of the 1,000 year kingdom reign of Jesus Christ, they're resurrected out of hell. They stand before Jesus at the great point of judgment. Books are open, and then another book is open, and then the Bible says in Revelation 20, 14, and 15, and death and hell were cast into the lake of fire. This is the second death. And whosoever was not found written in the book of life was cast into the lake of fire. I heard a preacher put it this way. If you are born twice, you'll only die once. But if you're born once, you will die twice. The second death in the lake of fire. So that's the first resurrection, deal And that is not all kind of different resurrections. There's one, well there's two resurrections, the first one including the rapture, the resurrection of Jesus, the resurrection of Old Testament and, and uh, Tribulation martyrs, and then that second resurrection uh, these guys right here, the rest of the dead. So chronologically you gotta divide verse number 5. The first half equivalent with verse number 11, and the last half of first resurrection back up to Revelation chapter 20 and verse number 4. So, if you didn't get all that, to see me at the end of the service. I, I can write that all down if you like and you can study so that. So, the first resurrection is in phases. In phases, exactly. In phases. The resurrection of Christ, the rapture of the church, the resurrection of the Old Testament saints, and the tribulation bodies. Exactly. So the second resurrection is not phases. It's not in phases, it's, it's right. one. It's one. And that's the unbeliever. Yeah. Another you. question? Now, Aaron. All right, I got two. Two. All right, so when it talks about the ten words, it describes meaning to Christ being delivered. Mm-hmm. What is the validity to the Antichrist potentially being a country or organization instead of a Well, actually, the Bible says that he himself is an empire. When you read Revelation chapter 17, verse eight, he himself is the eighth empire who comes out of that seventh empire. It's like a you know, nation, an empire uh, of his own. And he gets global authority from those ten horns that make up the afterbought of the Roman empire to give him global authority to do whatever he wants to do. So he himself, Revelation 17, 8, he himself is an empire. He's the eighth that comes out of the seventh, but he continues beyond, but he goes into perdition. Well, when is that going really to happen? At the end of the seven year period of tribulation, at the second coming of Jesus Christ, he will destroy the Antichrist and the false prophet and throw those guys into the lake of fire. Think about this. Those two guys would be the very first who break into the lake of fire. Prior to them going no to the lake of fire, they would be the very first to go into the lake of fire. So he himself, Aaron, is an empire. He himself is a ruler of the Roman Empire, but he himself is an empire uh, in and of himself according to verse seven, eight. Right. And number 8. then Number two, I was reading about the bridegrooms in Matthew. Uh huh. parable. And it mentions that after the Son of Man comes back, I forget the exact. One. Phrase of it. Essentially, that they can't get the oil anymore. Can they get saved after the second coming of Christ? Good, good, good question, brother. Now, you're going to talk about Matthew 25. Okay? Now, it talks about those ten virgins, five had oil, and the other five did not have oil. Now, that is a reference to saved Jews and unsaved Jews. So, when Jesus Christ comes at his second coming, he's going to find saved Jews and unsaved Jews. Now, remember the sheep and the goats? Those are the Gentiles. The sheep are the saved Gentiles of the Tribulation period. The goats are the unsaved Gentiles of the Tribulation period. You see, Aaron, at the rapture of the church, believers are taken up, right? And unbelievers are left behind. At the second coming, it's going to be the reverse. You're going to have have unbelievers taken off the earth. The unsaved Jews and the unsaved Gentiles and you're going to have believers who are saved in the tribulation period left on the earth to go into the inauguration of the millennial kingdom. And that's exactly what, not only Matthew 25 but Matthew 13 talks about the same exactly. So the ten virgins the ones with oil, the saved Jews the ones without oil, the unsaved Jews. The sheep and the goats the sheep, the saved Gentiles, the goats the unsaved Gentiles. So the word for virgins in Matthew is a Revelation of I believe so. You know what that word is? Parthenos. Is it male? Parthenos. It would refer to female. Okay. But even though these okay. guys are virgins in Revelation chapter number seven, simply means they've no, as you they have, no sexual contact whatsoever with with uh, other women. And the reason why we get that word Parthenos that goes back to Isaiah seven fourteen. And again, the rabbis would go back and forth with me on this and say, you Christians got it all wrong. Isaiah 7.14 is not talking about a, a miraculous virgin, right? Uh, because he's not using uh, a word that describes a virgin. Well, I've got a with you, Rabbi, and this is what I used on them. When the rabbis translated the Old Testament Hebrew into Greek, it's called what? The Septuagint. When they came to Isaiah 7.14, they saw that word virgin. They translated that as parthenos. And parthenos simply means a woman who has never had any sexual contact. So the rabbis who translated the Old Testament Hebrew into Greek, they got it right. It's you rabbis today that got it wrong. They're trying to deny the virgin birth of Jesus Christ. So they say, they we don't know what we're talking about. We Christians out the text and believe really I've heard all kinds of stuff called there. But actually, it is the same word that you find in Revelation chapter number, uh, actually, Revelation chapter 14, where it talks about uh, these guys being virgins. It's using the same word, even though they're male, it's using a, it in a, in a feminine type way. They've had no type of sexual contact whatsoever. They are without fault before the throne of God. And yet they're sealed by God for the first half of the tribulation period to do what? To preach the gospel. And, and again, looking at Revelation, in chronological order. Two witnesses get saved in Revelation, well, not saved, but two witnesses preach in Revelation chapter 11. And because they're preaching, chapter 7, 144,000, and they're not Jehovah's Witnesses, 144,000 yeah. male, right, <laughs> Roger? Male yeah. Jewish Israelites. 12,000 each from the 12 tribes of Israel. How do I interpret that deal? They're Jews. But see, when you start to allegorize the Spirit life, well, that's just talking about Christians. No, that's just talking about the church. No, what is it? Isn't. 12,000 leaves from the 12th child of Israel, you're Jesus. Uh, John, do yeah, you know? No. Oh, okay. But well, yeah, you did. Um, go right there, go. All right, with the trumpet, the last trumpet, 1, mm-hmm. 1 Corinthians 15, and then the seventh trumpet in Revelation, a lot of people try to put those two trumpets True. together. Could yeah. you explain that? Yeah, there is no connection there whatsoever because... That last trump in 1 Corinthians 15, and 51, 52, is in relation to the church. But when you get to Revelation chapter eleven, verse 15, John never calls it the last trump. The seven trumpet sounds to remind the world, despite all this death and, 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 and all this wickedness and the the Antichrist, there is light at the end of the tunnel. The book of Revelation is like a tape recorder, it rewinds and it fast forwards. So when you get to that seventh trump that John never calls the last trump. In Revelation 11:15, it fast forwards to give the readers encouragement that the millennial kingdom is right around the corner. Jesus Christ is about to return. The Book of Revelation quotes the Old Testament 350 times without even being specific as to what chapter it's quoting from in the Old Testament. So it rewinds and then it will fast forward, and many times it fast forwards to the events of the millennial kingdom in Revelation chapter 20. Uh, verses 2-4 through where it says six times it will reign for a thousand years and so John never called it a last trump and in ancient Judaism you had a series of shofars, you had a series of trumpets that were blown throughout the day you had trumpets that were blown uh, the sabbath, the weekly sabbath you had trumpets that were blown to go to war, you had trumpets that were blown for assembly of of, of, um, convocated or, or worship. But that final trumpet was for everyone to either go their separate ways or to their own home, or to pack up as we make our way to the land of milk and honey. And Paul, being a Jew, would know that, and that's the reason why he uses that phrase, the last trumpet. So, if we don't understand Judaism, if we don't understand ancient Judaism. We're going to end up missing these things. So that has nothing to do. With John's 7th trump in Revelation chapter one, verse 15. That trump just simply fast-forwards to the events of the millennial kingdom, and that's it. It's not a mid-trip rapture because it fast-forwards to the end of the tribulation period, not to the middle of it. So, so we just gotta take the Bible for its plain sense of interpretation and stop this stuff is not a and stop. It's really messing itself up doctrinally. It really is. Alright, how do you? Um, a couple more minutes, I guess. Sure. Okay. Okay. We'll take like two more questions. Because I love this, Chris. <laughs> I want to say, see, you have a premise, well, but when I see people disappear, they all, I'll get saved. You know, for the right, like the video you watched. What if we say to them like, "Sorry, I man, it's too late at that point"? Because actually, yeah, yes, yes, it will be too late. Because what you're doing is, like, it's like you're very rebellious, you're shaking your fist in God's face. Well, when I see the evidence of this, then I'll, I'll see if you can say no. Because when you read 2 Thessalonians chapter 2, verses 8 through 11, the Bible clearly says that God will send a strong delusion upon them. That they will believe, in the literal Greek, they would believe THE lie. That they all might be damned, who believe not the truth, the truth you were sharing with them prior to the rapture. Who believe not the truth, but have pleasure in unrighteousness. So for someone to say that, they're having pleasure in their unrighteousness by denying the rapture, by, instead of thinking God's word for it, well right, the heart's gonna be up, I don't get saved. anybody ain't gonna happen that way. Because you get left behind in the rapture to go through the tribulation period after hearing the truth, the Bible says, not the Antichrist, not Satan, not the false prophet, God will send you a strong delusion. That they would believe the lie, the lie of the Antichrist, that the all Man who believed not the truth, but at pleasure in unrighteousness. So it only makes sense to get saved, and because I've heard that many times over the years, trip. well, you know, I'm, 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 I'm just going to forsake all this stuff right now they you're telling me. I understand what you're telling me, and I believe there's some truth to that, but I'm just not ready to get saved right now. And then the next day, boom, the rapture happens. They'll never have the opportunity to be in the tribulation. But for those who did not clearly hear the gospel during the church age now, they will have that opportunity in the tribulation period to get saved. And that's why God raises two witnesses in Revelation chapter 11 to preach the gospel, the 144,000 Jews in Revelation chapter 7, and in Revelation 14, 6, God raises an angel to circumnavigate the globe to preach the everlasting gospel to them who fall on the earth to I every mean, tribe, tongue, kindred, and nation. So the church ain't gonna be here, somebody's gonna be preaching the gospel. Who's it gonna be? The two witnesses, 144,000 Jews, and an angel circumnavigating out the involved in Revelation 146. 6. So yeah, that that that's foolish for someone to talk that way. Very foolish. Okay, one more question. So yeah. where it says that the Antichrist, um I think the word is, cannot, you know, stop what he's doing until he has been removed mm-hmm. from the earth. He is the church. You know, some people would interpret that that way, and I believe you they are they're referring to 1 uh, Thessalonians chapter number 2, if I'm not mistaken. Some would try to uh, interpret that, as, if I'm understanding you correctly. Some will try to interpret that as the rapture of the church. Okay. And when Jesus says that he's going to build his church on the rock, and mm-hmm. that the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. Right. If you look at it from that viewpoint, then when once the church is removed, being be the he that is holding back. Right, that's, like, that's what Thessalonians am yes. Yeah. to The he is a personal pronoun, it's not the it. It's the he, like you said. Right. Well, probably it's got to be a reference to the Holy Spirit of God. Because he's the one that's, that's holding back the full forces of Antichrist. But if the gate to hell won't prevail against the church. Okay, but that's preliminary though. Because when you look at Matthew chapter 16, verse 18... Some would say the, the church was born... No, the church wasn't born then. The church was born the day of Pentecost. Jesus gave a preliminary prophecy concerning his church. He said, Thou art Peter upon this rock... Peter's not that rock. Jesus Christ is right. Upon this rock I will build my church, and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. What are they doing with the church right now? The gates of hell have been knocking on the doors of the church and they're trying to shut you up in the here and now. They're trying to get you to embrace same-sex marriages... If your own a business is making a case, they're going to try to force you to make a wedding they're going after that guy again. After he's won that Supreme Court case, Brother Judah, they're going after him again. A trainee. Yeah. I'm not trying to be facetious here. A trainee walked into his store and said, I want you to make me a case, I'm getting married. And that guy said, I'm not going to make the case. The Supreme Court ruled in my favor, I'm not going to do it. So what did he do? He went back to the state attorney general in Oregon, they call them up and say, "If you don't bake that cake, we're going to go after you." We don't care what the Supreme Court says. Christians are being persecuted for their faith. So yes, the gate of hell are definitely knocking on the, the to door of the church, but you can't destroy the church. The body of Christ, the ecclesia, they'll call up one. And that's the reason why when Jesus Christ returns at the rapture, He's going to take His church out of the world, and then the full forces of evil will cover this planet when the Holy Spirit does one of these numbers. It doesn't say he's taken out of the world. It says he's taken out of the way. Because you cannot get saved apart from the Holy Spirit of God. Cannot, it's, that's impossible. You cannot get saved apart from the Holy Spirit of God. So the Holy Spirit's not taken out of the world, but he's taken out of the way at the time of the rapture to allow the full force of evil to cover this planet. So in Matthew 6 and 18, that's preliminary to the prophecy that was fulfilled in Acts chapter 2 with the birth of the church. And I, I know I of my Baptist brethren, the royal brothers, I don't know, that the church was born on, in uh, um, Matthew chapter 16, verse 18, at Caesarea uh, Philippi. No, Jesus said, I will build my church. He didn't say I have to build it. He said, "Future I will build my church. And it gets to help not fulfill really against it. And that prophecy was fulfilled in Acts chapter number 2. So, sister, we've had 2,000 years of church age history, have we not? And that two thousand years of church age history will come to an end at the next major event we call the rapture of the church. We take this pride out of this world. So yes, you and I are fixing the gates of hell right now. As they're trying to shut us up, and they're even killing Christians, as you well know, killing Christians for their faith and Christians are going to the hostile countries where they know they're going to lose their life, but yet they're still going there to preach the gospel of Jesus Christ. So yes, the gates of hell are definitely knocking on the doors, but you cannot destroy God. The church. church. Cannot destroy the church. church. You can kill Brother John Gino you know, tonight, kill Brother August out tomorrow, but guess what? Somebody's going to take his place. And somebody's going to take my place. And that gospel is still going to be preached until Jesus calls his bride out Amen. Brother? Never. Okay. No. Oh, and okay. so just before, on what do you make of the half hour of silence? No. Oh <laughs> my goodness. Okay, I wasn't going to be wondering that. and head for the space of half an hour. In other words, a thirty-minute heads up. Yeah. After the sealed judgments are done, it's thirty minutes until the next series of seven is come, and that's when we the, the judgments. But I hear this all the time. There's going to be women having to do the South. I did not know. I, 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 just, not I What does that even mean? I, I just always thought, okay, water from the court, and that might be when they judge the senate. <laughs> <laughs> oh man! <laughs> I'll tell you this. So. One day you're going to be judging angels. Oh yeah. We're going to be judging the world, and we're going to be judging angels. Fallen angels. Yeah. Well, I don't know about the fallen angels, but we will be judging those good angels. Fallen angels are probably going to be incarcerated in the lake of five where their leader is, but we will be judging angels, and I believe they're going to be the good angels. Okay, so brothers, that's that's pretty much it. Hey guys, thank you so much. Those were awesome questions. Praise the Lord. Well, God bless.